the end of the month beckons, but the end of the winter appears to be further away. How much faith will you place in the prediction of certain individuals of the species Marmota monax? How do you plan to get through until the solstice arrives 48 days from the publication of the podcast version of Charlottesville Community Engagement? Either way, I'm your host, a specific individual of the species Diurna notario. This is the podcast version of a newsletter that went out on Saturday, January 29th, and it is today, January 31st, if you are listening to my voice. On today's program, Charlottesville's real estate assessments are in, and nearly every single residential property in the city has increased in value. Charlottesville City Council continues its review of the capital budget for the next fiscal year, and demographers state that the communities of the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission have increased by 12.8% in population since the 2010 census. Let's begin today with two more Patreon-fueled shout-outs. The first comes from a longtime supporter who wants you to know, Today is a great day to spread good cheer, reach out to an old friend, compliment a stranger, or pause for a moment of gratitude to savor a delight. The second comes from a more recent supporter who wants you to go out and read a local news story written by a local journalist. Whether it be The Daily Progress, Charlottesville Tomorrow, Seville Weekly, NBC 29, WINA, CBS 19, The Crozet Gazette, or some other place I haven't mentioned, the community depends on a network of people writing about the community. Go learn about this place today. The Omicron surge continues to wane, with most of the various metrics trending downward as of Friday. On that day, the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association reported 3,197 COVID patients that were hospitalized that day, with 552 of them in intensive care units and 337 people on ventilators. Still, relatively speaking, the situation is still critical. Dr. Kosti Safri is the director of hospital epidemiology at UVA. You know, what we've seen with Omicron is the highest numbers of uh, cases that we've um, ever um, seen here at UVA in terms of patients admitted with with COVID. Um, We have the highest number of patients that we've seen with uh, for pediatric hospitalization. We've also seen um, uh, the highest numbers of patients on our acute care floors. That's echoed by Wendy Horton, the chief executive officer of the UVA Medical Center. We have um, some really sick patients, and, you know, I think sometimes it's a misnomer that Omicron is is not as severe. On Friday, the Virginia Department of Health reported a seven-day average of 10,556 cases a day, a figure that has been decreasing since hitting a peak two weeks ago. The seven-day average for positive tests is 28.3 percent, down from a peak on January 11th of 36 percent. The number of fully vaccinated adults in Virginia is at 68.8 percent, a number that has been pretty stagnant. The average number of shots per day is at 10,140. On Friday, Virginia Attorney General Jason Mieres issued an opinion that public universities cannot require students to get COVID vaccinations unless the General Assembly passes a bill to do so. Dr. Sifri said more communications are needed to explain to people the likelihood of unknowns during a pandemic such as this one. There are new variants, there's new you know, new challenges, um, there's new therapies and new ways to um, combat it. You know, as we learn more, we 
get an understanding of what works and what doesn't work. So that challenge of communication and, and the evolution of understanding is is difficult. You know, it's very difficult, um, um, you know, to understand um, why guidance changes, but um, as best possible, it, it, it's based on evidence. The annual reassessment of property in Charlottesville is complete, and over 95% of residential properties increased in value this year. In all, there are 15,164 taxable parcels in the city, and the overall increase for 2022 is 10.77%. The overall average increase for residential property is 11.69%, with only 1.37% decreasing in value and 2.77% staying the same. Commercial property increased an average of 2.79%. According to a release from the assessor, this includes apartments, retail, office, industrial, and vacant land. For more information, check the City Assessor's website. If you're a property owner, check your mailbox. The new assessments are now listed on Charlottesville's GIS site. Appeals must be filed by February 22, 2022. And if you'd like to review property transactions from 2021, visit the Property Transactions tab on Information Charlottesville. With those figures in, budget staff will come up with more of a picture about how much additional tax revenue will come in due to the assessments. That will provide more clarity on a potential increase in the rate to cover a capital improvement program that will include $75 million for school reconfiguration, more funding for affordable housing, and other increases that have been sanctioned by the most recent city council prior to this one. Before we get too far with that, a committee of the House of Delegates Finance Committee has recommended denial of a bill from Delegate Sally Hudson that would allow Charlottesville to hold a referendum on a 1% sales tax increase. They've also recommended laying on the table for another bill that would have allowed all localities to do so. Both votes were on party lines. More General Assembly updates in a moment. The current council had a lengthy discussion about the capital budget at their retreat last Wednesday. Chrissy Hamill is a senior budget analyst with the city. The current draft of that five-year plan totals $157 million, of which roughly $124 million of that could be bonded. That means the city can float bonds for the project and pay money back over that time through debt service payments. The city continues to have a AAA bond rating from two agencies, and that keeps interest payments lower. One topic at the work session was whether council wanted to continue to move forward with several items, and she gave an overview of projects previously approved that have not yet moved forward. Uh, right now, we have um, an authorized but not issued list of roughly $66 million. This is just a running list of projects that if you were to go back um, through prior CIPs, this is a list of projects that were designated in that bondable portion. These range from $4.43 million in an account for undergrounding utilities, $6.7 million for the city's share of the new general district court in Court Square, and $3 million for the Route 250 bypass fire station. Hamill said some of these projects are already in the works, and Hamill said it's not a safe bet to just simply eliminate these line items. Last year, council signaled an unwillingness to proceed with a major project to build a parking garage at the corner of 7th Street and East Market. $1 million remains in the unspent area. Mayor Lloyd Snook was elected to council in 2019, and he related his experience so far. 
I will tell you from my own personal perspective, once we've said yes to it, I kind of forget about it. I assume that it's going to get done. Snook said he was not sure of the utility of seeing this list. Hamill said decisions made by previous councils can always be revisited as new information is known. West Main Street is a perfect example of that. So if we had looked at this list last year, um, it was a higher number because we had 18 and a quarter million dollars on this list for West Main Street. Right. Um, we know that there was design work and some preliminary steps, but for all intents and purposes, no work really happened there. Um, and as we, you know, started talking about uh, the school project and how could we get to where we need to be, um, that was a perfect project that sort of bubbled to the top. That's like, hey, here's a big number we're sitting on. Where are we with this re- this project? Let's reevaluate. Hamill said at this point in the budget process, council has the opportunity to ask questions to continue to request more information before the final decision is made. Snook said he would like council to be given more frequent updates on where capital projects stand. Hamill said city staff is working toward that goal. Hamill also said the draft capital budget includes some recommendations made by the Planning Commission. There was a recommendation to restore the... um, funding for sidewalks. We did put money back in to level fund that with 22. Um, And one of the other recommendations were to um, uh, add money back in for to mitigate the ash tree removal process that is now fully funded at the requested rate. Staff also reduced funding for the Economic Development Strategic Fund. The draft CIP for the next five years anticipates about $185 million in capital spending. That will likely require an increase in the city's debt service to about $23.1 million each year. That's double the current amount, according to Kevin Rotti, a financial advisor working with the city. We're currently paying about $11.9 million uh, in, in our FY22 budget. Additional revenues will be needed to cover up the difference. At the retreat, staff was not prepared to recommend a tax rate. There's also $126 million in requests that are not currently funded. They also said there won't be any more room for additional new projects for many years. Councillor Michael Payne posed this question. Our current proposed CIP would mean anything in the unfunded list currently, such as PHAs, affordable housing projects, for that matter, you know, Charlottesville High School roof, et cetera, wouldn't even begin to be possible for us to consider funding until 2031. I would say basically, yes, that's a good summary. That's, I, would, I would agree. Very, very good summary. Charlottesville's budget cycle for fiscal year 23 continues next week with a joint session with the school board on February 2nd and a budget work session on February 3rd. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and it's time for the third Patreon-fueled shout-out. The Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Campaign is an initiative that wants you to grow native plants in yards, farms, public spaces, and gardens in the Northern Piedmont. 
Winter is here right now, but spring isn't too far away, 48 days away from this time I'm speaking. So this is a great time to begin planning for the spring. Native plants provide habitat, food sources for wildlife, ecosystem resiliency in the face of climate change, and clean water. Start at the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Facebook page and tell them that Lonnie Murray sent you. The communities that make up the Thomas Jefferson Planning District have grown by an average of 12.8% since the 2010 census, according to the latest population estimates from the Weldon Cooper Center at the University of Virginia. This time around, they are making an adjustment based on what they see as an undercount in the 2020 U.S. Census. Here's a disclaimer on the website. Localities with relatively large college populations, including some Virginia localities, were often undercounted in the April 1, 2020 census count. We have benchmarked the 2020 and 2021 population estimates on the Weldon Cooper Center estimates instead of the 2020 census count for localities with populations that are comprised of over 20% college students. That includes Charlottesville, which Weldon Cooper puts at an estimate of 51,079 as of July 1, 2021. The U.S. Census put that figure at 46,553, but the count was taken at the beginning of the pandemic, when University of Virginia students had all gone home. Weldon's estimates for the past year have been higher, with a 2020 estimate of 51,050. That's a 14.9% growth rate since 2010. Albemarle County had an estimated population of 114,424 for July 2021, a 13.7% increase since 2010. Fluvanna added another 1,865 residents for an estimate of 27,556. That's a 6.7% increase since 2010. Greene County grew 12.8% with an estimate of 21,030 people. Louisa County grew 13.9% with a population estimate of 38,364. And Nelson County lost 200 people for a 1.4% decrease in population with a 2021 estimate of 14,820. We're now over two weeks into the Virginia General Assembly, and the full extent of what's happened so far is well beyond the scope of this newsletter and podcast. But here are some more highlights of where things stand, at least as they did on Friday. Here are some pieces of legislation that have passed the House of Delegates. A bill to allow veterans serving as school resource officers to carry a firearm as part of their duties was approved on a 52 to 46 vote and has now been referred to the Senate Committee on Education and Health. A bill to allow Virginia school boards more leeway in dismissing teachers passed the bill on a 52 to 47 vote and is also referred to the Senate Committee on Education and Health. A bill to expand scenic river provisions for the Maury River passed 87 to 12 and now goes to the Senate Agriculture, Conservation, and Natural Resources Committee. The state currently allows minors to be sent to juvenile boot camps, but a bill to eliminate that provision passed 88 to 11. And finally, the Secretary of Veterans and Defense Affairs and the Secretary of Commerce and Trade would be directed to examine the possibility of waiving fees for veterans who were starting up a small business. And that passed 97 to 0 and has been referred to the Senate Commerce and Labor Committee. 
Some other details, a bill to rename the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in Virginia has failed in the Senate General Laws and Technology Committee. And a bill to require the Department of Environmental Quality to develop a program to plan to mitigate harmful algae blooms has been continued on to next year's General Assembly. That's a little while away. And we'll have more of those quite soon in more Charlottesville Community Engagement. But that's it for this installment of the program, which is a unique one where I am recording this podcast two days after I did the newsletter. I did go away for a little brief trip, and which was pretty cool. Uh, it was a quick thing just to sort of like broaden my horizons and get some ideas about this future in front of me this year and in front of you. Uh, but uh, it also meant I tried to challenge a little bit about my production technique, and I'm doing that today, trying out new software, a new setup. Uh, it's really good to challenge challenge yourself and to try to do as many things as you can um, towards, you know, trying to get better at what you do. At least that's how I do it. And that's what the people who are paying me to do this through Town Crier Productions is supporting. This is a business, Town Crier Productions, and the business is bringing you information such as this newsletter and podcast. Perhaps this is the first one that you've heard. Perhaps you've read the newsletter all these times. Please listen to the podcast as well. And of course, there will be more coming soon. The week ahead is coming out later today. It's a little delayed, but that's perfectly fine. And then after that, we'll be producing another newsletter for tomorrow because there's so much more information to get to. And that is what I am here for, no matter where I am. And thank you. If you want to support the program, infoseville.com and click on the support the info tab. And, uh, you know, you can figure out what you want to do. This is sort of a pay as you go. And of course, uh, there are benefits to the people who pay. And of course, you can read that all there. I am Sean Tubbs, the host of this program, and now I'm going to get to producing, and I really do thank you for being here. Please stay safe, stay alert, stay vacation uh, is also good. If you can't go anywhere, uh, move to a different room, you know, just for the day. Just see what happens. Thanks for listening, and goodbye. Goodbye.